Recorded by The Way in Brea. Lead pastor Von Jarrett has a heart for the people at The Way and a desire to reach the lost. The Way's production department prays this message is a blessing to you and that you find yourself closer to God through application. Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, As you know, the Passover is two days away, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and they plotted to arrest Jesus in some sly way this and man kill needs to him. Be but not during the festival, they said, or there may be a riot among the people. While Jesus was in Bethany in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. <laughs> Why this waste? This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, oh, Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted out for him thirty pieces of silver. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? He replied, Go into the city to a certain man and tell him, The teacher says, My appointed time is near. I am going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him one after the other, Surely not I, Lord. Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. 
but woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely not a high rabbi. Jesus answered, Well, you have said so. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. If you have your Bibles, uh, open them up with me, please. Uh, Matthew chapter 26. I'm going to go through 17 through 30. Now on the first day of the feast of the unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying to him, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? This is verse 17. Um, for some of us that don't know, the Passover is a, a, a celebration that the Israelites do um, for thousands of years uh, when, when they were delivered originally from slavery from Egypt. And... Um, what happened is, as when they were slaves, um, uh, God was moving through Moses, and Moses um, uh, warned the Pharaoh several times, and there was 10 different plagues that God um, tried to warn the Egyptians and Pharaoh to back off and to release his people. And the last one was the, the angel of death that came through and took all the firstborn of all the, of the Egyptians. Um, but during that time, whoever basically put blood over the, their front door of their homes, um, uh, the angel of death passed over those homes and, and saved uh, those folks from, from, from death. Um, so that's just a little uh, hit background on, on Passover. Uh, in this first verse here, I love how the disciples are honoring and showing servanthood to our Lord uh, by asking him, um, where do you want us to set up the Passover meal? Um, and it just, it just reminds us how we should honor and, and be like him as a servant. Just like the, the Bible tells us, he came here to serve, not to be served. Right. And here, as this is just to put this in perspective in time, this is where the disciples have been walking with Jesus closely for several years in his ministry. So you can see as they have been walking close with God, you can see some of the characteristics that they've adopted uh, by being with, uh, with Christ. Um, next uh, couple of, uh, pa the next passage is going to be 
in Luke chapter 22, verse 8 through 13. And he sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat. So they said to him, Where do you want us to prepare? And he said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house which he enters. Then you shall see the master of the house. The teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I, may, where, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large furnished upper room. There make ready. So they went and found it just as he said to them. And they prepared the Passover. You know, again, this is Luke um, documenting this, this, this um, time where he, God sent Peter and John to go prepare, you know, the, the, the Passover dinner. And he just blows my mind how he says, go find the man who is carrying a pitcher of water. Like, how, you know, again, it's just showing us how uh, he knows the beginning to the end. He knows every second. He knows every moment. Everything is planned. Um, and in Revelation 22:13, 13, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. It's just amazing how he, this blows my mind, just only he is capable of knowing what the future holds for all of us and for, uh, for his, uh, his will. So it's, it's just uh, remarkable. Um, we're going to continue verse 14 to 20 in Luke. When the hour had come, he sat down and the 12 apostles with him. Then he said to them, with with Fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For you I say, for I say to you, I will no longer eat of, of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood which I shed for you. Um, you know, the first note I, I have here is um, God's telling us how much he desires to be with us. Um, it says, with fervent desire, I have desire to eat with you. He is, he desires to spend time with us um, and, and to be in relationship with us and communion with us. Um, uh, John 6, 25, 29, he reminds us to seek his presence. It says, they found him on the other side of the lake and asked, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, you want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood, understood the miracle signs. But don't be so concerned about perishable things like the food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. They replied, we want to perform God's works too. 
What should we do? Jesus told him, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. Amen. Amen. Um, so when I, re- when I read through this passage, again, so the disciples, you know, he's, he's called the 12 into an upper room in the city away from where he was, private with the ones that had been walking with him. And obviously he's been teaching them and showing him his grace, his, his mercy, his power. Um, and uh, during the Last Supper, uh, he teaches us something. He teaches the disciples something. He's teaching us something very important. Um, so he says, take communion in remembrance of me. What I receive when I, when I receive that from the Lord is he knows we're forgetful people. That's just how we are. We forget what good he did for us 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Um, and be honest, we sometimes forget what he did on the cross for us because we're so busy. Amen? So it's so special because during this Last Supper, he is introducing communion. Amen? And across the world, there's communion being taken every, almost every day, you know, different time zones and uh, different times. Uh, and it just, he, his desire to commune with us um, and knowing that we are forgetful people, he's created this communion that when we do take communion, his body and his blood, that we take time to think about how great his love is for us and what he had to sacrifice for us. Um, and as you guys know, me and my family, you know, we, we prepare communion for the church. And I tell you, it's been a blessing from God. Um, unfortunately, it, you know, it happened through my father-in-law, you know, going through uh, stroke where he couldn't perform it anymore and, and, and provide for the church as he was. But he was able to pass it down to us. And it's so special. For those of you guys who have been part of it, uh, you feel his presence because it's a three, four hour process, sometimes longer if the batch doesn't come out right. Uh, but uh, during those times, uh, as we get impatient, he continues to, he has more, he, he's teaching us, he's doing something uh, at that time. But, um, you know, it, 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 it's in, in John 25, uh, 6, in chapter 6, 25, 20, it's telling us it's not the food, right, that we are, we're, that we're taking in and, and, and the Jews. It's really uh, accepting him and accepting, accepting him and the spirit into our hearts. Um, and it, it, it just, it's just so special. The last thing that he leaves us with, but in, you know, while he was walking on earth, is the communion. Amen? Amen? So we can take it for granted when we have time for communion, but it's not just on the Sundays. It's available every day. Amen? Amen. He's available every day, and he desires those moments with us. And uh, the enemy's really good at keeping us busy. Focusing on our tasks that the world has put on us, that our employers have put on us. We have to find a way. We have to find a way to honor him um, with the time he deserves. 
um, because he desires to spend that time with us. So, um, and he also reminds us in here that it's um, his final supper, you know, uh, in in flesh uh, while he was here. Um, And then, of course, the new covenant that he has provided by his blood, which has set millions or if billions, you know, free. Um, at, and we didn't have to do anything about it. Yeah, he, he, um, he freely uh, provided that to all of us. And for those who are not saved, uh, we pray that um, the kingdom continues to grow. And uh, our brothers and sisters in the world lost um, come to uh, to come to accept the, the table he's called us to, just like he did in, in um, the Last Supper. So it just, um, you know, his love is so amazing. We, we can go on and on and on forever and ever talk about it, but, um, you know, he's desiring to, to be with us uh, and commune with us, go into more deeper relationship with him. We just have to continue to seek him and, and, uh, and just um, get closer to him, amen? Amen, so what we're gonna do here, uh, we're gonna ask you guys to maybe get in groups of four to six. Um, we're gonna take communion, there's three tables set, one on the back, two up front. So um, let's do this in remembrance of, of what the Lord has done for us and what he's provided for us. He has done something in every single one of us here. Amen? Amen. Amen. So let's, uh, let's, let's share with one another. Uh, let's get a little bit uncomfortable. Uh, let's, let's, let's move around. Let's, let's not be with the, you know, you know, if you're a spouse, split up. Uh, let's share what God's done for us with one another. And let's pray. Let's take about 10 minutes if we can and honor God in prayer and just, and just speak to each other. And, and let's glorify God with one another. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, we'll take 10 minutes. This very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Jesus answered, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. Never, never, master. No, then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. Yes, master. Yes. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if... It is possible. 
may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Yes, yes. Yes. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed. My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping, because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, rise, let us go. I don't know why I'm crying already. I gotta be honest with you. Um, I don't have any one-liners to open. I don't have any jokes. <clears throat> you know, there's a lot of famous gardens in the world. The garden in Jawan Sawa, Japan. The Brooklyn Garden in New York made the top 10. The Vercelli's Garden in Italy is a famous one. But there's none more world famous or historical as the Garden of Gethsemane. The Garden of Gethsemane didn't have miles of flowers and perfect colors and symmetrical bushes that spelled out letters. The Garden of Gethsemane didn't have ponds and koi fishes. And the Garden of Gethsemane had a prayer. And that prayer was what made it famous. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 36. Excuse me, Matthew chapter 26, verse 36. Then Jesus went with his disciples to, to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here. Keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell onto his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. And he said, couldn't you men keep watch for me for one hour? He asked Peter, watch and pray 
so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed a third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let's go. Here comes my betrayer. I want to share a couple of things with you about this prayer, and I hope it'll hit home. It didn't take long for it to hit home uh, for me. But I got to be honest. We need to begin to get comfortable praying in silence and in solitude. Jesus gives us a perfect example of this. Silence and solitude. You see, the temptation for all of us is busyness. That's deception that keeps you away from what you need to do. That keeps you away from silence and solitude. And if you would, no play on words, but communion with the Father. It keeps you from that. A couple examples. Jesus went up to a mountain, sighed to pray, and spent the night praying to God. When the morning came, then he called his disciples. When Jesus heard that John the Baptist had been beheaded, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. I can go on and on and tell you that Jesus himself got alone and got quiet with the Lord. That's what the Garden of Gethsemane is famous for. This prayer, this prayer that's going to change the world. We need to make a habit of praying in solitude and silence. Lord just shared something with me right now. Even when Jesus, after being baptized, the Spirit sent him out to a desert by himself. And he was tempted by Satan. Prayer in silence and in solitude. Once Jesus was alone, praying in private, his disciples ran to him and they asked him, I'm sorry, and he asked him, who do the crowd say I am? When Jesus needed answers, he went in solitude and he did it privately in silence. 
Is your prayer life just silent? Can you even sit in your car for 10 minutes at a park without the radio, without Snapchat, with, every, with, with nothing else on? Can you? I get it. They didn't have technology like this. But thousands followed him, and he got alone. I want to read you a different outlook on the same set of scriptures about this prayer. In another gospel, Luke, in verse 39, no need to turn there, I'm going to read it quickly. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. And he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them knelt down and prayed, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will be done, but yours be done. And an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose... From prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping? He asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Many of us don't pray with any eagerness. Many of us cannot compare to a fraction of what Jesus was going through, and it's difficult for us to give our hearts just for a moment to the Lord in silence and in solitude. Earnestly and with severe anguish, we need not to be afraid to pray in anguish, to be completely open and say, I can't take this. It's no surprise that Luke is a physician. Luke is a physician, and he gives us a medical definition of how bad Jesus was praying. The real medical term is hematidosis. Hematidosis, where you are so anguished and so sorrowful that your sweat turns into blood. This is not a little fairy tale. That's right. This is Jesus on his hands and knees by himself in a solitary place, giving it all to the Lord. Please, please, if you could take this from me, take it. Man, Luke, what a picture Luke describes for us. Here is a doctor who wrote one of the Gospels 
and gives us a medical point of view of the anguish in this prayer. He describes Jesus' sorrow medically to us. We read it sometimes like a fairy tale, or oh, that's just that's just spiritual. No, it happened. And it happened to the Son of Man. For us, prayer needs to be the bolt in the morning and the key to our evenings. How do we go through life without giving it to the Lord? In prayer. He has given us a home, a country, freedom. God forbid children, and we won't go to a quiet place and cry to the Father for them? You won't do that for people in this city? You won't do that for people in this church? You won't do that for people who don't know the Lord? Man, you know what's amazing to me? Most of us get our prayers answered and the Son of Man didn't hear anything other than seeing an angel that strengthened him. And he still came back three times. And he didn't get an answer. And what we don't understand is sometimes God doesn't answer and he says, this is the answer. Just go. There's no audible voice of God saying, you'll get through this. There's no hand of God saying, I won't let you feel pain. No, none of that. Silence, complete silence. And here's... Here's why I think we don't live a life of prayer like this. I think one, God's grace and his mercy knows that we can't handle unanswered prayers because we're going to end up doing what we want. So he gives us direction. And sometimes we heed it and sometimes we don't. Not Jesus. Jesus didn't do what he wanted to do when he didn't get an answer from his father. Jesus said, okay. No response. I guess I got to go through it. Okay. Let me go check on the boys. I'll come back. I'll try again. Lord. My father, nothing, nothing, nothing. Looking up into the moonlight, perhaps maybe not physically the darkest night of history, but certainly spiritually. 
And he comes back a third time and says, Father, please, if you could take this from me. But not my will, your will be done. Still nothing. See, the power of true prayer is understanding that it doesn't change God's mind or situation. It changes the person who's praying. I believe wholeheartedly Jesus thought he would get an answer. But because he knew how to pray, because he... Scriptures tell us that he got away privately because he, scriptures tell us that he'd get up wee hours in the morning and start his day with prayer. And he would spend eight or nine hours with the Father and only moments with people because he had power from this prayer. I believe wholeheartedly that moment changed all of history and Jesus understood, okay, let's do this. That's not my opinion. I'm going to share with you, that's not my opinion. That's not the cool thing to say. It's not the funny thing that Raymond says, that he believes Jesus says, okay, I didn't hear him, let's do this. You know how powerful, how powerful the power that came to him, understanding that it's not about me, it's about this world and my Father's will to be done. How do I know this? Listen for just one moment. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 45, it says, Then he returned to the disciples. This is the third time. Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let's go. Here comes my betrayer. Listen, when you have this kind of faith and this kind of prayer life, you can walk up to your betrayer. He tells his disciples, let's go. It's time. I didn't get an answer. I got to do my Father's will. Let's rise, and there's my betrayer. And he walks up to the betrayer. Do you have that kind of power li prayer life where you can walk up to your betrayers? Where you can walk up to your situation and say, here I am. I haven't heard anything from the Lord, but here I am. Man. Prayer doesn't change the Lord or his mind. It changes the one who prays. Prayer is a longing of the soul. It's a daily admission of one's weakness. It's better in prayer to have a heart without words than a prayer life with words without a heart. Silence, solitude, and earnestly, constantly, 
search the scriptures. None of the gospels said he asked for anything differently. The same thing over and over and over from four people's different views. He went back to his father. No answer. So we're going to give you a chance to pray in solitude, to pray earnestly, and to pray in silence. It may be the back row. It may be the front row. It may be a corner. I would prefer you stay in the sanctuary. It may be on your knees. It may be on your feet. It may be on your bottom. Get quiet with the Lord. And do it earnestly. Just alone, try to block out the things in your mind from, man, from everything this world has to fill our heads with. Finances, this, that, children, college, future, past, who's here, who's not here, what am I going to eat after? Just get quiet with the Lord. Would you try for 10 minutes? I'm not a I'm not a prophet. He may not answer your prayers. He may be silent just as he was for his son. But it's your job to keep asking and to keep coming to him. Find a spot, get comfortable, and just pray. And if you have to, look at this image. All alone in the midst of darkness with a medical condition, praying so hard that he's sweating blood. Maybe you have a loved one who is sick. Maybe you need healing yourself. Whatever the case may be. You'll hear how it turned up for Jesus. And I'm sure it could be the same with you. Bow your heads with me. Rise, rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. When I kiss, if the man arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Great greetings, Rabbi. And kissed him. Jesus replied, Friend, do what you came for. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him. 
for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? In that hour, Jesus said to the crowd, Am I leading a rebellion? That you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching, and you did not arrest me. But this has all taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. Those who had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance, right up to the courtyard of the high priest. He entered and sat down with the guards to see the outcome. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. But they did not find any, though many false witnesses came forward. Finally, two came forward and declared, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah the Son of God. You have said so. But I say to all of you, from now on you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, He has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look, now you've heard the blasphemy. What do you think? He is worthy of death, they answered. Then they spit in his face and struck him with their fists. Others slapped him and said, Prophesy to us, Messiah. Who hit you? Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, This fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately, a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. So Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15, it says, We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. As we look at this last part of the story of Good Friday, I want to make a connection between us and the, uh, the humanity of Jesus. You know, when we look at this story, we can see how different he is from us and what he had to go through. But there is a connection. He is just like us, only without sin. What I want to look at is uh, three betrayals. Three betrayals. 
In Mark chapter 14, verse 18, it says that they sat and they ate. We heard Gary preach about this. And Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you who eats with me will betray me. The question I have is, Lord, how can we learn to treat those who we suspect might betray us? Those who we suspect might not be there for the duration of our lives? Those that we suspect that at some point may turn on us? How can we treat them the way that Jesus treats people like that? They don't have our best interest in mind. Yet, God calls us to treat them a certain way. I think in the first betrayal, what we see is uh, the Lord is telling us that Jesus is who he is, and he doesn't change for anybody. It doesn't matter how people are going to treat him. His behavior, his character, his DNA is going to remain the same. Not just at the end when everybody's focused on Good Friday and and how is Jesus going to treat Judas here at the end. No, for the whole three and a half years that he walked with him, Jesus loved him. Jesus blessed him. Jesus fed him. Jesus taught him. Jesus at the end broke bread with him and washed his feet. His character is not divined by our character. His behavior does not change based on our behavior. In Matthew 26, 24, it says, The Son of Man indeed goes just as it's written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. God has this plan that's unfolding in uh, Jesus' life. God has a plan that's unfolding in my life and in your life. And it doesn't matter what other people are doing. God's plan is going to come to pass. Somebody say amen. Amen. However, it doesn't mean that people are not accountable for their behavior and the role that they play in our lives and the role that you play in other people's lives. He says, look, I had to get to the cross. It was going to happen. But the one who betrayed my son, it would have been better if he wasn't born. There's consequences for the actions that he's going to take. Listen to this. First betrayal, Mark 14, 45. As soon as he had come, immediately he went up to him and said to him, Rabbi, Rabbi, and he kissed him. Judas comes after getting these 30 pieces of silver. Jesus is after communion, after washing their feet, after this intimate moment, after the Last Supper, after going off to pray three times as Raymond told us. Like, it's just... Him and his disciples, and they're pressing in with God. And here comes Judas after all that, and he walks up on Jesus, and he kisses him on the cheek to betray him. Someone close to Jesus, he uses that closeness, he uses that access to cause harm to Jesus. Think about that for a second. Most of us, I think all of us, would rather be harmed by a stranger or a person that we knew was an enemy to us than somebody that we thought was a friend, right? That pain and that betrayal run so much deeper. Like, look, if you're a stranger and you don't know me, you just want to hurt somebody, I I can understand that. If you're a known enemy, we don't like each other, we don't get along, I don't care about you, you don't care about me, that's fine. However, when somebody's been a friend close to you, you've cared for them, you've been in relationship, That betrayal, man, it cuts so deep. Think about how that must have felt for Jesus this night. 
With us, we usually have a reaction towards the people who betray us. Somebody say that's true. <laughs> Not only do we have a reaction towards the person that hurt us or that betrayed us, we all have a tendency also to change our behavior towards other people, right? So if I'm in a relationship and somebody betrays me and they hurt me and they stab me in the back, it cuts to the, to the heart of me. Not only am I going to defend myself or, or try to hurt them back because they've hurt me so bad, but everybody else I'm in relationship with is going to be affected now because I'm going to change because of what happened here. Right? Not Jesus. Not Jesus. This is Luke 22, 48, same story. Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When those around him saw that he, what was going to happen, they said to him, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cut off his right ear. But Jesus answered and said, permit even this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Look at Jesus. He doesn't flip out. He doesn't accuse Judas. He doesn't start to defend himself. He doesn't say, it's been three and a half years. Look at everything I've done for you. He just looks at Judas and says, man, with a kiss? Of all the ways that you could betray me, of all the things that you could do, 30 pieces of silver and a kiss. That's all it took. Then Jesus says, even defending Judas, he says, he permit even this. My character hasn't changed. <laughs> We're not going to win the battle for souls by fighting and taking up swords. We're going to win it by loving those who are unlovable. Man, look at our Savior. And then look, not only does he have that relationship with the one who's actually betraying him, but everybody else is around him, forcing themselves upon him, grabbing him, spitting at him, ripping his clothes off of him. And what does Jesus do? The betrayal doesn't cause him to behave differently with everybody else around. He's still loving to everybody else around. In the midst of what's happening to him, being betrayed and being taken into custody, he picks up this man's ear and heals him in the process. Yet we attack back, we defend ourselves, and then we make everybody else suffer around us, whether they're enemies or friends. When we've been betrayed, what we put out there is actually what's really inside of us. Those who betray us are only exposing what's inside of us. When Jesus was betrayed, what was inside of him? <coughs> Love, grace, patience, care, consideration, kindness, healing. These are the things that are exposing us that we're supposed to take into prayer like Raymond talked to us about. We can't hide from that stuff. We got to go into our own garden. Second betrayal. He's betrayed by his community, his friends, his family, the whole support structure. Everybody in here, it might not be a good one, it might be a great one, but we all have at least a couple friends. We all have a family, even if it's jacked up and tore up, and we all have some type of support structure. When we go through something, we have a group of people who are around us that we kind of lean on, we depend on. Some of them don't even know that we're leaning on them and depending on them, but we need them. There's people that I call. There's people that I talk to. Today, I talked to a friend, Nicholas, over in London. I needed prayer. I was like, man, it's been a little bit too long, and it was good. Mary was calling me like, where are you? What's wrong with you? I was like, I just needed my support structure. <laughs> we all have it to varying degrees. Jesus, at the end here, that whole group betrays him in a moment. Imagine 
all your friends, all your family, the whole support structure in a moment. Matthew 26, 55, Jesus said to the multitudes, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I sat daily with you teaching in the temple and you didn't seize me. But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. So he's already dealing with one betrayal. Judas comes after he washed his feet. Ooh, can you imagine? He betrays him. He's still loving. He's healing people. And then he says, why do you guys come out in the middle of the night with clubs and swords as if, as if I'm some type of robber, I'm some type of thief, I'm some type of criminal? I've been in the temple. I've been in the church every day. You could have come and got me, but this is the hour you choose. And then it says right there, when he begins to, to speak to this mob, all his disciples start sneaking away. Oh, man, we're outnumbered. Oh, man, everybody's here and they're looking at us. Those people that were gathered around for food, those people that were gathered around for teaching, those disciples that were able to go out and touch people and heal, all of a sudden they're disappearing, just betraying him. <clears throat> this type of betrayal is unique for any of us that have been through this where you look up and you don't have a friend in sight where you look up and all those family members are gone when you look up and the people that you depended on have, have betrayed you after the anger subsides right? when you start blaming other people you start looking inside and you say dang what's wrong with me because one person betrays you like Judas you're like it's his fault <laughs> he's shady that's all there is to it. But all of us, when the whole crew starts to betray you, when the whole family starts to betray you, after you're angry at everybody, you say, man, what's wrong with me that nobody wants to be around me? That nobody will uh, stay with me? Isolation and loneliness. During the first betrayal, Jesus is surrounded by all these enemies. Same thing happens here. He's surrounded by enemies, and they're threatening him, and they're taking him, but his character remains the same. Amen. After his disciples flee, they take Jesus, and they take him and, and put him before uh, the Sanhedrin, the chief priest. There's all these enemies around him, and it says that uh, false witnesses came forward and said, this man said that he is able to destroy the temple of God and build it in three days. The high priest arose and said to him, do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? But Jesus kept silent. He refused to attack back. He refused to accuse others. And he refused to defend himself. Man, I want to be like Jesus. <laughs> I find myself defending myself on a daily basis. Defending decisions and actions. Jesus says, I know who I am. Everybody has betrayed me. I don't have a friend in the room. And everybody is attacking me and lying about me, bold-faced lies. And he just stays silent. The third and final betrayal has become the most significant to me. You know, we've had a lot of Good Fridays and Easter's, and we know these stories. But this last betrayal to me is the most significant. It has become that because Jesus is betrayed by his closest friend. We'd rather it be an enemy or a stranger, but we recognize and understand a Judas. 
we, uh, we get angry, but we realize quickly that, man, if everybody betrayed us, every friend, every family member, that maybe there is something wrong with us. Uh, but when it's your best friend, that's the person that's supposed to understand that there's something wrong with you and still not betray you. <laughs> that's the person that's supposed to be like, look, man, your family and your friends, they suck. It's your fault, but it doesn't matter. I'm still going to be here with you. You're completely wrong, but we're going to go to jail together. <laughs> right? Like, that was his best friend. That's what Peter was supposed to do. And listen, Luke 22. After about an hour passed, another confidently affirmed saying, surely this fellow was with him. He's a Galilean. But Peter said, I do not know what you're saying. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. Just imagine this moment where they make eye contact. It's like, it doesn't get any worse than this. Everything that he's been through, the Judas situation, all the disciples running in different directions, being pulled into this, this uh council of people who are accusing him and now they're about to drag him off to be accused by another group of people and he sees Peter and he's like oh, it's my best friend that's my rock that's why I named him little rock <laughs> he's still here and then he hears a little bit closer anybody ever heard a best friend anybody ever seen a text message that a best friend sent about you anybody ever heard a best friend talking about you like no they would never say that and then Jesus is listening, and he hears, I don't even know this guy. The third time he denies him, they make eye contact. And then Peter starts crying, but then he just walks away, like the final portion of the betrayal, right? Turns and walks away and leaves him to be dragged off like that. I got a friend in, uh, in Nigeria right now. It's not the safest place to be. Some of us were there last year, and it was just earlier today, and I don't know if it had to do with Jesus and crucifixion and whatnot, but earlier today I was thinking, what am I going to do if I get a call that he got kidnapped? I mean, it's a, it's a real reality. And I was like, man, I got two choices, man. I got a wife. I got kids. Like, can I really go over there and try to do something in the Nigerian jungle? And then I was like, man, I know a guy and his brother's a Navy SEAL. <laughs> I'll call him and we're gonna go together, but we gotta do something. We gotta try. <laughs> and here's Jesus and he's being dragged off and his friend just looks at him and walks away. So here's the thing, Jesus still keep silent. His character hasn't changed because Peter's changed. Amen. It was painful for Jesus, but the good thing about Jesus is he had already committed to loving Peter better than Peter could love him. Imagine if you went into your friendships like that, like, look, I already know that I'm going to love you better. I already know that I'm going to be more faithful. I already know that you are not going to reciprocate what I'm going to give to you. That's how Jesus enters into relationships. He's like, I already know I'm going to love you better. <laughs> so for you and I, when that last person leaves us, 
When that last person that we thought would never betray us betrays us, we're left in a place of desperation. But I want to tell you this tonight. I think that that's where God wants us to be. That's the place where he's able to show us that he has to be everything to us. God is not interested in being one of your best friends. He wants to be number one in every area of your life. And he wants you to be willing to lose everything and everyone else. And then think about this with Jesus. It's clear that Jesus' character and his love and his life is based on his relationship with God, the Father. Just like Raymond said, they're spending time together. They're praying. It's, it's, it's beautiful. Peter denies him, and Jesus doesn't change one bit. But then Peter comes back. And you can build that friendship again because of what Jesus has with the Father. That's what God wants for you and I. He wants to be number one. He wants to be everything. And then you can build other friendships and relationships and marriages and parenting and everything else that comes with life. But if we have that upside down where we're depending on all these people and when we are betrayed, we lose the character that we thought we had, we missed it. I wish that it didn't have to come through these types of betrayals and desolation and desperation, but sometimes it does. But I want us to picture ourselves kind of like Jesus, where every relationship he has is secondary to the relationship he has with the Father. He can build with broken people that way. If you and I will make every relationship secondary to the relationship with the Father, we'll be able to build friendships and relationships with broken people, and we'll realize that we're broken people too. One thing I've realized this year is how many people I've betrayed in the course of life, even in the course of my Christianity, the way that we do certain things, the timing of certain things that we do. So I want to I wanna finish the story in just the last couple of minutes, if you guys will bear with us. I think God deserves it. It's okay. So we've gotten through the betrayal. We're going to play one last clip for you guys, and then we're going to close. All the chief priests and the elders of the people came to the decision to put Jesus to death. They bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I, I have said, he said, I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us? They replied. That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. The chief priest picked up the coins and said, It is against the law to put this into the treasury since it is blood money. So they decided to use the money to buy the potter's field as a burial place for foreigners. That is why it has been called the field of blood to this day. Then what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. They took the 30 pieces of silver, the price set on him by the people of Israel, and they used them to buy the potter's field, as the Lord commanded me. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so. Jesus replied, when he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. 
Then Pilate asked him, Don't you hear the testimony that they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Now it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, Which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Messiah? Give us Barabbas! For he knew it was out of envy that they had handed Jesus over to him. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? Asked the governor. Barabbas! They answered. What shall I do then with Jesus who is called the Messiah? Pilate asked. They all answered. Why? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood. He said, It is your responsibility. All the people answered, His blood is on us and on our Then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand as a scepter. Then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hell! Hell! King of the Jews! They said, they spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink, mixed with gall. But after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You, who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. 
He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice. Which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? <gasps> when some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. Many women were there, watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate answered, Take a guard. Go make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. It's my favorite story ever. <laughs> There's so much here, and uh, even as I'm listening to it, I just wish that I could preach it all to you guys, but obviously I can't. Uh, I just want to point out a couple of things. After the three betrayals, you have three councils. Uh, first, they take him to the chief priests and the elders and to the church where they accuse him. And this is like a local uh, group, like uh, a community uh, council of his own people. And they lie on him and they condemn him. 
Then they take him to Pilate, the Roman governor, and uh, Pilate doesn't even want to crucify him. He says he hasn't done anything wrong, and he tries to release him. It's not in the Gospel of Matthew that, that you guys heard right now, but he sends him to Herod, and Herod is like uh, the go-between between the local community and the Roman governors that rule the whole world. Uh, and you would think that at some point there you would find justice. If you can't get it with friends and family and disciples, you can't get it in the community, you can't get it um, with, with higher levels of government, you can't get it with the world powers, Jesus can get no justice. And one by one, they all condemn him. Uh, I think my favorite part of, of the story of, of Pilate, it says that he washes his hands. I've preached on that here before, how we all get confronted with, with Christ and we have to make a decision on, on whether or not he lives or he dies, whether or not he's crucified for us or whether or not we're disinterested. And so many of us have washed our hands and said, I'm, I'm innocent. I'm, I'm not guilty of this innocent blood. I have nothing to do with him. I'm not religious. And, and if you want to serve Jesus, that's fine. But that's not how it works. Pilate came to realize that. My other favorite uh, part of the story is Simon the Cyrenian, who... Uh, was just trying to get home, wasn't planning on being confronted with Jesus that day. And he had to carry his cross. I was reading something earlier, like Raymond was talking about Dr. Luke, talking about him sweating blood. Uh, the reason he had to carry his cross is the amount of blood that he lost, his muscles wouldn't work anymore. He couldn't even carry his own cross. And somebody who wasn't ready or prepared or planning to carry the cross had to do that. And then at the end, uh, also not in the story that you heard, man, you guys should read this thing. <laughs> but Jesus is on the cross, and uh, there's two of us next to him, AKA sinners. And one of them says, just remember me. Like, I know I deserve to be here. I'm in prison, I'm on this cross, I'm being judged because of the things that I did, and I'm not gonna try to uh, defend myself, but I know that you don't deserve to be on this cross, so when you come into your kingdom, just remember me. Man, this Good Friday story that starts with uh, preparing the Passover, having communion, going into this time of prayer where he's like, man, can somebody pray with me? Please, you guys, pray with me, and they can't do it, to being betrayed by everybody and everyone, especially those closest to him to being on the cross and that character that you see of Christ through the whole Bible, but definitely in this last day, he's still caring for other people. He tells this man, today you'll be with me in paradise. Today you'll be with me in paradise. What an amazing promise, what an amazing commitment. You know, Raymond said uh, he didn't get an answer when he was praying in the garden and he's sweating blood and he's asking for answers. And, uh, when he didn't get that answer, though, um, he leaned back on what he already knew that he was here to do. You know, he said he would heal people and say, don't tell anybody my time has not come. I've got to get to the cross. I've got to get to the cross. I've got to get to the cross. And here he is at the cross. Um, you know, I think it's a, a somber and, and sad note to end on tonight, but, uh, but I think that's what's supposed to happen. You know, when everybody left uh, that evening, after all these things are happening, you know, at the end it says they rolled a stone over and it got dark. Um, 
what was the song that we sang? Um, You're a light that the shadows can't deny. While we were singing that, I know how the story ends here. While we were singing that, I knew where we were gonna end tonight. Uh, for the first time, for me at least, I thought, man, I, I bet that when, that when that rock rolled over and it was like pitch black, I'm not so sure that it took till Sunday till the, uh, the shadows had to flee. From, from the outside, man, that thing was sealed tight, but I, I could picture the shadows fleeing to the corners of the room, like there's power in here. There's life in here. We saw it in the video that we started with uh, when it looked like it was flatlining. There he is, his body in that tomb, and you hear a little blip on the radar. When we come back on, uh, on Sunday, you know, it won't be a time of, of death. It won't be a time of, of uh, sadness. You know, hopefully maybe t- tonight and tomorrow you guys will, will look at these women who were weeping and uh, those who were cleaning his body and putting spices and incense. <clears throat> all the things that were happening just around this. And, uh, but man, life breaks through. You know, Good Friday, I don't know why we call it Good Friday. I guess it's good because of the result, but, but this terrible, horrible Friday when the creator of man uh, allowed man to kill him. Uh, man, it's, it's the beginning of the end for death, though. So what I'm going to do is uh, just pray with you guys and, and release you. I'm going to have the worship team come, though, so that they can, they can worship us out. And uh, if you want prayer, we're going we're gonna to have some time for that. But, man, supper, communion, prayer, betrayal, crucifixion, and that's just one day of the Bible. But it changed, uh, it changed eternity. It changed everything. So here's what I want to pray for. If you bow your heads with me. Lord, unlike the, uh, the disciples and those who were in Jerusalem at the time, we heard uh, within the last week or so, Lord, that when you were coming into the city this final time, this final week, that you wept over the city and you said, man, they don't understand the time of their visitation. They don't know what's happening and what's about to happen. The disciples were unprepared for you truly being arrested and crucified. The group that followed you wasn't ready for you to be taken from them, Lord, and they didn't understand. They thought that it was over on this particular Friday. We have the luxury, Lord. We have the blessing. We have the honor to be able to know the rest of the story and know what happens. But like we heard earlier about communion, how often we forget that you are still alive. We're not telling the story of somebody that we loved and lost. We're not telling the story of somebody who who died and we don't want to forget them because of what they did for us and the sacrifice that they made. We're reflecting on the story of the only one who died and rose again. The only one that looked death in the face and defeated it. You're alive and well right now. This is an ongoing story, God. Lord, I thank you for those of us who have had our 
moment of meeting you on those crosses, Lord. You on yours to provide life and us on ours to acknowledge who we've been, where we've come from, what we've done, and that you're our only hope. If you would remember us, if you would help us, if you would forgive us, if you would transfer your righteousness to us, if you would take the sins that we've committed, Lord, not sweep them under the rug, but actually pay the price for them. This is an offer that only you make, Lord. There is no other God. There is no other religion. There is no other hope. There is no other name by which we must be saved. It's only you, Jesus. Substitution, sacrifice, our Passover lamb. Transfer, Lord, impartation. We get your righteousness and you take our sins upon you. God, who else could have thought of something like this? Who else could have offered something like this? Who loved us enough, Lord, when everybody else abandoned us, you came to us. Your word says that we only love you because you loved us first, Lord. Hmm. So if you're here in this place tonight, every head is bowed, every eye is closed. Three betrayals. You have betrayed others and others have betrayed you. You understand this. You've been there. You know what it's about. Three counsels. Three times that he was judged and found guilty even though he was innocent. You and I have been judged plenty of times and the truth is we're guilty. But the three that matters most tonight are the three words that he said on the cross. He said, it is finished. It's finished. His whole life was leading to this cross so that he could finish the work of paying for every sin. He comes to us tonight and sitting in this room are men and women who have accepted his payment, who can testify and say, oh, I was guilty, I was in debt, I owed, I was a sinner, I was a liar, I was a thief, I was a pervert, I was so many things. But I heard Jesus say, it is finished one day. If you're here in this place and, man, you're tired of carrying your sins, you're tired of dealing with it, you know that you have a debt that can't be paid. You know that you've never asked for forgiveness. Man, your sin can be dealt with tonight. You could actually hear the Son of God say to you, it's finished. <laughs> he looks at you tonight the same way that he looked at Peter. Peter was weeping because he knew he had betrayed God. But Jesus kept his eyes on him because he knew that he would come back. So heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If that's you, not saved, but want to be saved, if you wave your hands at me, put a hand up, just identify yourself. Man, I want to be saved. I see you. I see you. Hallelujah, Lord. Man, he loves you. Anybody else want to be saved tonight like our other brother here? Anybody else? Just raise your hand. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. It's just you and the Lord. I just want to see you. Anybody else? Amen. For our brother here, I just want to share with you 
You know, when Jesus was on that cross, he saw you. He didn't see us. He didn't see all of humanity. I believe with all my heart, he saw you. He saw this day. He saw this night. He knew you'd be sitting right where you are. And he had his eyes completely focused on you. He said, this is the night. April 19th, 2019, he's coming home. He says to you, today you will be with me in paradise. You'll never have to worry again. All of your sins have been paid for, your past, your present, the things that you do tomorrow and into the future. He paid all of that price for you. He loves you so much. He saw you when the tears were rolling down his eyes, when he was falling under the weight of his cross, when they were whipping him and ripping his skin off and he was bleeding through the streets of Jerusalem. He had you on his mind. God, I thank you that you have a capacity to do that. I thank you that in what seemed like to us just one night, it seemed like just 10, 12, 14 hours, you were capable of seeing every man, woman, and child, their whole lives, every sin they would commit, and you volunteered. You said, I'll take it. Oh, we're so grateful, Lord. We're so thankful, Lord, that you're still saving people tonight, that the work is not done of saving souls and forgiving sons and forgiving daughters. Man, I'm so grateful, Lord, that you allowed us to witness doing it again tonight. Before we go on, is there anybody else tonight? Tonight's your night too. Hallelujah. Just raise your hand. He's here for you too. He's coming after you. He will not relent. He will not stop. He's going to keep coming. You can just surrender tonight if that's you. Anybody else, just raise your hand. Hallelujah, Lord. Man, so good. So, Lord, we thank you. We honor you. We remember you. We want communion every day. We want prayer every day. Give us isolation, Lord God. Let us not have to go through the desolation of being betrayed and left all by ourselves just to understand how much you want to be number one in our life, Lord. Let us just surrender those things now, God. Help us. Let this Easter, this uh, Good Friday, this weekend be different than every other one. Let us go deeper in our relationship with you. Let us have boldness and confidence in you. Let us bring others with us, Lord, as we enter into your presence, God. Keep us and watch over us, Lord. Receive this last, this last time of prayer, this last time of worship, Lord. It's an offering unto you, God. Bless your sons and daughters as we go from this place, Lord. And we pray for our brother, Lord, that, uh, that became part of a huge family tonight, that you would place people around him to help him, to strengthen him, to encourage him. Prepare him, Lord, for the enemy is not happy about it. The enemy will try, Lord, to discourage him and to hurt him, Lord. Oh, but he has you, Lord. Greater are you that's in him now than he who's in the world, Lord. Surround him with other young men and young women, Lord, that will strengthen him and encourage him and help him, God. We're so, so grateful. Have your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen, amen. You are released. You can pray. You can worship. You're released. Love on each other. And uh, we'll see you on Sunday.
was recorded by The Way and Brea. Lead pastor Von Jarrett has a heart for the people at The Way and a desire to reach the lost. The Way's production department prays this message is a blessing to you and that you find yourself closer to God through application. Oh,